Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, welcome to the From Way Downtown podcast. I'm Matt Newell, Pacers editor for Indie Star. Here with, of course, Dustin Dopirak, our Pacers insider. Uh, season's opener is today is Monday. Uh, season opener is, of course, Wednesday. Uh, so this will serve as our Pacers preview podcast. Uh, we've got a couple of things to talk about, but we're going to start with some bold predictions. Dustin uh, will have three. I'll have two. Since Dustin's doing more, I'll let him open it up. So uh, what's your first bold prediction, Dustin? First bold prediction is Tyrese Halliburton makes all NBA and gets all the money. Um, I think uh, one of the six best guards in the NBA. Uh, it's tough. I mean, I, I imagine he's probably will probably be third team, but I think those assists are gonna are are going to be up there. Uh, I think he's gonna have. I mean, um, it's not gonna be you know, it, like as as you point out, it's not gonna be easy. Obviously, you take you know John hey, Morant and have it can't be easy. Yep. We're going to go bold, uh, but yeah, I think his assist numbers are going to be huge. I think they're going to play just ridiculous in transition. I think he's going to have a lot of opportunity to shoot and score and just work well with this group. I think he's just coming off of, I, I think he's got a lot of momentum, um, you know, just coming off of FIBA. I think he's sort of not re energized into work because he's always energized. Um, but I think that put him on a track. And, and I think, I mean, he, I just feel like he looks really good in the first two preseason games. Um, as you point out, it's not easy. You obviously got to deal with, you know, Luca, Shy, who's been phenomenal. Um, you know, Donovan Mitchell, who looked terrific the other night. Um, there is a long list of guards, uh, that are going to be tough to beat out. But I think he's, I think he's playing really good basketball. I think he's going to put up crazy assist numbers, efficiency numbers, uh, all of those things. I don't think the Pacers are a top five team in the East. Um, but I think he takes them to the playoffs and I think that's enough. I think that gets them there. Um, are we going to alternate? Uh, yes, we're going to alternate. Um, okay. But uh, also, come. There is much to learn about Tyrese. Obviously, we'll, we'll, we know we, we might as well take the early opportunity uh, to plug things. If you haven't checked it out, obviously, the my uh, Tyrese Halliburton epic was in the paper yesterday and is online right now. We're going to come back to that uh, after we do our bold predictions. Talk a little bit more about it. So please uh, listen all the way through the podcast. But for Halliburton to make it. Uh, we're, I mean, Steph Curry is always an injury risk, but if he plays 65 games, he's in. Don mm-hmm. uh, Shea Gilders Alexander, Jason Tatum are all, I think, certainly ahead of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you then have Donovan Mitchell, obviously, you mentioned. So then we get the Aaron Fox and Damian Lillard. So, I mean, like, nine yeah. million things can happen during the NBA season, but I don't think it's, uh, you know, it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility for Halliburton to beat out Fox uh, mm. for that last spot. Um, you know, John Morant suspended for the first 25 games, so that's a, uh, um, you know, that, that knocks him out of it. Um, mm. You know, Drew Holiday is an interesting one, although sure. uh, there's going to be, a you know, the ball is going to be spread around there in Boston, so that's going to make it, could make it a little more difficult for him. Devin um, Booker and Brad Beal in Phoenix. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, either one of them could be there. So, but hey, that's why it's bold. Certainly yes. not out of the realm of possibility. And the more you know, I talk about it, the more I'm talking myself out of this idea. 
but he also gets uh, what six fifty five million more dollars if he makes it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. If he makes it now, I'm basically at any time. I, I I believe basically all NBA is what has to happen for him to make it a super max. And so uh, if he makes it, you know, he gets part of it, but he needs to make it now to get the whole um, to start making it a super max now to 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 get it on the first year of the contract. Um, so, but yeah, and he is he will be motivated. Certainly motivated. That's a lot of that's a lot of money. Now he'll still be making two hundred million over the last the next five years, even if he doesn't make even a single All NBA team. So I think he'll be fine. Uh, he'll be able to make uh, you know be able to make his mortgage payments. I think I think he'll be okay. But um, but yeah, it, it goes up significantly if he manages to make it this year. All righty. My first bold prediction is that by game twenty, one quarter of the way through the season. Obi Toppin and Miles Turner will be the only two traditional big men regularly in the Pacers rotation. Um, I'm not saying that you wouldn't use one of the centers for matchup purposes in certain games. I just look at this rotate the players they've got, they got too many you can't have too many good players. They got a lot of good players. They got more good players than they can play. So what are you going to do? Who's going to end up sitting? I don't think – it seems like Walker is not going to be in the rotation to start. Um, I think Toppin can play some center, which lets you get maybe Naismith in there, maybe uh, Wara in there. Um, and you also got to deal with the fact that you've got you've got McConnell, you've got Nebhart, I mean, you've got Brown, you've got all these, uh, you know, guardish wings. Um, and I think they're going to play them because I think those are their best players. Uh, but I think they're going to play, and they're going to just play small. So give me your reaction. Yeah, I mean, I think that's how that's generally how it looks. The only difference is I think they'll just throw one of those fives in, because I think they want to play top and, and Turner together. Uh, and so I think that they have to pick somebody else to be um, the backup five. Uh, I think it, whether it's you know, right now, I think for most of the – Camp Jalen Smith has been the guy that's been out ahead. Um, you know, Isaiah Jackson, I think, can still play his way into that. I mean, I think the, the more it looks like, it's just the more they seem to be uh, hoping and praying somebody gives them an offer for Daniel Tice, um, you know, somehow, some way. Uh, so, but I, I still think they don't want to throw away Smith or Jackson, and I think they want to see the top and they want to get as much out of top and turn together as they can. I think they really like what they can do pick and rolling both of those guys and spacing the other uh, and being able to go off of both of those guys. They like both of them to shoot. Uh, they like both of them as role men. They like being able to run with them. Um, so, I mean, I, they, they certainly like what they're getting out of both of them, but I, I don't think they want to play Obi Toppin without Tyrese Halliburton. I think that's the whole point of getting him is to run him up and down. Um, but your broader point that they want to go smaller is true. I mean, I think the fact that you're already seeing Aaron, Aaron Neesmith as the second unit four uh, in preseason rotations um, you know, certainly tells me that. I think they don't want to, you know, it seems to me the fact that he put them both on the floor together tells me that uh, Rick Carlisle doesn't want to choose between Andrew Nemhard and TJ McConnell and have the other one at the end of the bench. I think he thinks that uh, those guys are two of his best competitors. I think he likes the idea of having um, two rotations with two capable point guards. Uh, you know, obviously the starters being, you know, Tyrese Halliburton and Bruce Brown can run the point for you. So you've got two playmakers in the first unit, two playmakers in the second unit. If you've got Nemhard and McCollum together, you know, maybe try to make sure that Nemhard is getting uh, some on-the-ball reps. But, I mean, I think they like that. They like the, they like what they can do with that group defensively. Um, you know, I thought that they were going to try to avoid uh, playing that small and, and try to get Neesmith as many reps of the three um, as they could. But it seems like, uh, you know, the, the early returns uh, in preseason suggest – 
that's not the case. Uh, that they're, you know, they, they, again, they like the idea of having multiple, you know, multiple playmakers and they like the, uh, they're okay with having multiple wings and playing smaller in the second unit. Um, but in that case, I don't think they'll play smaller in the first unit. Um, I don't know that you'll, they'll go, you know, Neesmith, uh, starting in the war at the fort. The only, the way that I could see that changing though is that I don't think they, you know, right now, they have one guy that they really feel like can defend somebody on the perimeter on the first unit, and that's Bruce Brown. Um, right, basically from you know we talked to Rick a little bit about this um, in Saturday's practice. I asked, you know, I said I, I don't expect you to tell me this, but you know, right now, who's the guy that you're second most confident in? Because last year you had them Harden and Smith defending your top two two perimeter scores on the opposite team. Who gets the second assignment? You know, it seems pretty. You know, you seem pretty confident about Bruce getting the first one. Who's second? And and he leaned towards Matherin and says, you know, he wants those assignments, so he'll get some of those assignments. The question is, how long can you trust him in those assignments? What, you know, will he be exposed uh, early or will he, you know, rise to the occasion? If he doesn't rise to the occasion defensively, what do you do? Do you change your rotation so you get a Neesmith in the first unit? And so, because again, not, not again, I mean, the great teams in this league have two great scores. You know, when you're playing playoff teams, they all have two great scores you know, to all-star caliber guys. Um, and so if Matherin's not ready to defend an all-star, um, you could lose a lot there. You know, I mean, if, if you're dealing with, you know, Cleveland, who they just played, if they've got Garland and, and Mitchell, you got to defend both of those guys. If if you have a subpar defender on Garland, he's going to cook you. So, you know, they have to be prepared for that. Um, ha- make sure they have somebody that's capable of defending uh, those guys at that level. Obviously, if you're dealing with Boston, you've got to deal with Jalen Brown, Andrew Holiday, and Jason Tatum. If you're dealing with uh, Milwaukee, you've got to be able to guard Giannis and Dame Lillard and Chris Middleton. So, you know, like they need to be able to guard. So they might end up playing smaller if they feel like it's necessary uh, to get Neesmith in the first unit. Well, interestingly enough, apparently Neesmith is, uh, as we're doing this podcast, signed an extension with the Pacers. Um, oh, great. So that- some uh, confidence in him, and I think we probably need to pause and let you deal with that, and then we'll pick up the podcast after that. <laughs> yeah, good idea. Okay, we started this podcast a little before 11 o'clock uh, Monday morning, and in the middle of it, Aaron Naismith signed a three-year, $33 million extension, um, which was actually great timing because I think it pretty much uh, uh, proved my bold uh, prediction, which is that uh, – they're not. They're only going to play Toppin and, and Turner uh, as traditional bigs, and they're going to use players like Aaron Naismith, um, you know, at power forward again um, to fill out the rotation. Uh, but in the ensuing time since uh, we paused the podcast, so you could write that story and go to practice, you've you've certainly talked to Naismith. Um, it just sort of fill us in. What did he say? What are your thoughts on what this means for his role, his future here with the Pacers? Yeah, well, and obviously. Uh, gives credence to a th- something they've been saying for uh, really much of the offseason. I mean, I think even going back to, um, you know, Miles Turner's extension. Uh, I remember hearing, uh, you know, Kevin Pritchard saying that, that Aaron Neesmith is going to be a part uh, of, you know, basically their build towards, you know, being a, a championship level or high play- playoff level uh, team going forward. I mean, obviously, it's a, uh, I don't want to say it's a team friendly deal, but you know, it's, it's, it's relatively modest in terms of payment is concerned. And that makes sense because Aaron's probably going to come off the bench this year. Um, but they're able to get it done for three years, 33 million. Uh, and, but it, it keeps them around. Uh, it, it maintains it sort of a, um, you know, just a, 
he's a core piece. Obviously, he's not now ever going to be one of their best players, but he's a guy that's proven willing uh, to do a lot of the dirty work. He's willing to play a bunch of different positions, guard a bunch of different positions, do whatever it takes from an offensive standpoint. Doesn't have to have the ball in his hands. Can you know run around, and get open. Uh, is a streaky shooter, but can hit some shots. And is basically just does not need to be the center of attention. Um, and so getting a guy like that and locking him up uh, for a few years, just just being one of those core pieces, core, um, you know, supporting cast members, uh, you know, I, I think is really big. And it says, it says something for the, the degree to which they respect him, you know, the, how much they like a lot of the, uh, the things sort of out of the limelight things that he does, um, you know, sets, sets them, you know, when they're going to have to make a lot of decisions on a lot of other guys that are kind of in that level, uh, it shows you they view Neesmith at least a little bit differently. Again, they didn't have to give him crazy money. Uh, you know, he, he was happy to stay uh, for that. They gave him an opportunity they never had in Boston. He wasn't going to get one with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum being there. Um, you know, in Indiana, he's he's going to change rules a lot. He already knows that. You know, he's already been a starting power forward. Um, came into this season thinking he was going to be the backup small forward. Now it seems more and more uh, like he might be playing power forward again on the second unit, as it seems like Jareth Walker uh, is taking a little bit of time to get um, – acclimated, uh, you know, doesn't seem to be quite there yet, and, and Neesmith just seems to be uh, further along defender than Jordan Ora is, and it seems like they also uh, aren't ready to choose between Andrew Nemhard and, and TJ McConnell and, and want to play both of those guys. Um, it seems like they, they you know, they, they can already see a role changing for him, and, and it could be different next year, it could be different the year after that, but Neesmith seems to be totally okay with that. Um, you know, talking to them, I, I thought it was interesting, obviously, you know, after the Pacers finally made it official, um, probably about, I don't know, 45 minutes after, you know, Woj broke it, um, they put out a, um, a video of him signing and, and basically he's up in front of everybody signing the paper and all the guys are down on the floor cheering. And it was just striking to me how little Neesmith likes, you know, attention. He's a very easy guy to get along with. Really polite from a media standpoint is, is always, you know, sort of, uh, you know, good about talking to us and just get into, you know, other conversations about other things in, in pregame locker room and whatnot. Um, but when you interview him, he's pretty short, especially if you want to talk about him. Um, you know, he doesn't really want to spend a lot of time on himself. So it was sort of weird to see him, uh, in the limelight, but he did seem nervous in it in the same time. And so even when we were talking to him, he was just like, yeah, happy to get it done. Wasn't thinking about it. Glad it was done. Just seemed to want to get through it. But in the same time, was was happy, pleased to know that he's got some security, um, and he knows that this is a place that wants him and a place where he's going to be. Um, so it's obviously a good fit for both parties. You know, obviously it's not that big splashy sign like Halliburton. When you're saying this is our guy, this is the future. Everything is built around Tyrese Halliburton. Um, you know, he is sort of, you know, he is, you know, he, he is more of a satellite. He is orbiting. Um, but keeping him within the orbit, I think, is uh, is important for the Pacers going forward. It's the guy they're going to be able to trust to do, um, you know, the the less glamorous jobs uh, for this franchise for the next few years. Yeah, and like you mentioned, the salary is pretty reasonable. I, I, you don't sign him to this contract unless you think he's going to be around. But at the same time, he would be easy to trade at that number. Um, mm. He could anything from a weak team looking for somebody who maybe has got some upside, which he – I think he splashed a little bit to a guy who's happy to come off the bench, like you say, for a, a more of a contender and who can fill, you know, pretty much three positions and he's willing to guard um, mm. my upside, upside offensively too. So, mm. all right, uh, let's get to your next uh, bold prediction. What do you got for us? God, what even was it? So many hours ago, we're thinking that. Uh, I think they will. They will. They will. 
have to deal Daniel Tice and Jordan Noor, and I don't know when, but I think when they have the opportunity, they'll jump on it. Um, this I've been surprised how little uh, playing time Tice got. I thought he was at least from a preseason perspective. Um, I thought they were, you know, keeping him around was going to be a reason to give them uh, for him to, them to kind of reconsider him, uh, you know, especially after what he did for Germany uh, in the World Cup. But I mean, I think he only played in one preseason game. Part of that is wanting to give, uh, you know, he and Tyrese Halliburton a break after they did play in the World Cup. Um, but you would have thought by by game three and game four, if they viewed him as the backup center, as, as somebody was contending for a backup center, they would have got him some work. Uh, and Jordan Oro as well has has been you know sort of reduced uh, to maybe a third team situation. They still like him. Um, obviously, uh, Rick Carlisle was just singing his praises uh, over the weekend. But I think they're going to have to, you know, find someone else to find space for him. If they're going to play smaller with Neesmith, if they want to get him on the floor to the floor, if they want to get um, uh, T.J. McConnell and Andrew Nembhard, if they want those guys working the second unit together, um, and, you know, even if Walker is going to take a while, uh, but if, you know, they're, they're not putting Nora in front of him necessarily, um, it seems like it, it makes sense to move him. But, you know, the – he – I thought improved his value by averaging 13 a game in the 24 games he was around last year. I think you can look at him and say, hey, that's a guy that can really score for you. So if somebody could use a, a playmaking, uh, scoring, you know, power forward sized wing, um, that's that's a move that they can make. I'm not sure how long uh, they're going to wait on that, what they need out, you know, in terms of return off of those two guys. Um, but I would be surprised if they hold on to them very long. Uh, I don't know that they make it until the deadline, especially if they're not going to be playing very much. Yeah, I would think Wara might have a little bit more of a shot, but again, it gets to what we were talking about earlier, which is just they got too many guys who are good that you know to play them all. So sure. uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to right into my next uh, bold prediction because it sort of uh, it follows um, what you're going, which is I think there will be a a big trade, and by big I mean five players total between at least two teams. It could be three teams. Uh, you know, by the all by the trade deadline, I think. Um, to me, you look at there's a bunch of teams out there: Boston, Dallas, Golden State, Clippers, Philadelphia, Miami, Milwaukee, Phoenix. There's a lot of teams that have high expectations. I'm not sure how deep their bench is, or you have teams like Phoenix, which signed up a bunch of guys, and we'll see how you know what, what roles they fill. The Pacers seem like they have a bunch of guys who can help a team. I mean, Tice could step in on any team and be a backup center, I would think. Mm. McConnell, I mean, Phoenix has reportedly been interested in him. McConnell would be a great backup on any team that's sure. trying to win. And you could go through the rest of the – I mean, Heald's an obvious one. But Naismith, Wara, um, I mean, all those guys, uh, you know, any of the backup others, the, the big men. Um, so I'm not talking like a big trade in terms of a massive name being thrown around. Um, but you could also throw in some draft picks. And at that point, you are talking about a bigger name, something like that, since the Pacers control so all the, you know, all their draft assets. I just think something kind of has to happen, um, which mm-hmm. goes follow through with what you're saying with with Tyson War. Except, of course, my prediction is much more bold than yours. Um, sure. But uh, yeah, but <laughs> but mm-hmm. uh, um, I mean, again, it seems like something has to happen at some point to to sort of sort out what, what who's playing and to maximize the assets that they have. And Kevin Pritchard has shown that he's not afraid to be bold, at, uh, um, you know, in these moves, less in season, but but I think that's a distinct possibility. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think um, Buddy Heald, to stay along past the deadline, has to really prove himself essential um, in, in some way, shape, or form. It's got to 
be clear that if you take his shooting out of the equation, then it, the group falls apart um, in, in some way, shape, or form. Um, so I think, I, you know, and, and I don't know what that exactly looks like. I mean, I think part of that is determined determine on other guys. Um, you know, if, if Benedict Matherin's leap is not quite as much, if he's not, um, even if he's scoring, if he's not necessarily from shooting from outside, um, the, like, obviously you want to try to get some level of return there. Um, and I think obviously it makes sense to do it at the deadline when someone could use some shooting and maybe you could turn that into some kind of return that makes a difference. Um, but and he, it's got to be a situation where they're a playoff team and you can say no matter who you add, um, you know, you're, you're not replacing Buddy Heald on this group. And if you want to get to the playoffs, you have to keep him. Uh, I think that's the only way that he doesn't, um, you know, get dealt at the deadline once, you know, so everybody kind of knows who they are, what they need, you know, wh- what direction they're taking, whether they're contenders or not contenders. Um, so I, I, would, I would think, obviously, that, that that's something they've got to be keeping in mind. Um, and they've got to be willing, like you said. I mean, I think Kevin Pritchard said for a while that he's he's got a bit of an itch and he's in a position where I think he can make – some deals. And it's just a question of what can you get on a return? I mean, it was, you know, even toward the end, you know, uh, it, it, of, of this off season or, or even after the past first couple of weeks, um, you know, you know, after July one, you got a sense that, okay, like there's not really a big move that they can make. Like if they're, you know, if, if they're holding back these guys, how big can you really go? Who can you really attract? Um, but I think there are some, some, some significant moves that, that they're going to have the opportunity to make with Heald as kind of a lead piece, but as a, a few of these other guys as being like relevant, useful backups that can make a difference uh, on a, a contending team but might not get a chance or enough of a chance on this team. Um, and yeah, I mean, and the big thing is what are they getting back? I still don't have a great answer from that, even though I can throw out a bunch of teams um, mm. because those teams would have to be willing to trade it's not an all-star, at least a, you know, a, a serious NBA starter, which is what I think the Pacers need at uh small mm. board, basically, um, if mm. such a thing still exists. Um, but, but again, I think that we'll get to a point where some of these other teams realize they need a, a boost and that the Pacers have the pieces and maybe mm. it's a three-way trade. You know, I, I, you know, can you get Pascal Siakam um, from Toronto if they're not, if they're not competing for a playoff spot, um, sure. which would, if you're trading draft assets to them and other people are throwing things in and you're trading, um, you know, solid rotation guys to, to uh, contenders or something along, something along those lines. Um, in terms of the heel thing, this is something I wanted to bring up. They've been shooting a ton of three pointers. They, uh, they've had good days and bad days. Mm. Do you, I mean, I don't think they're trying to sit there and say, Hey, let's prove that we can play without buddy healed. But is that evidence that they don't need buddy healed because he hasn't, he, not shot great on threes so far. We know he will. Um, but uh, that they have shot so many threes in the preseason, is that an indication that maybe Field is not and his shooting is not as important as maybe we thought at one point? Not yet, because it hadn't gone in enough yet. Um, I think they have to if, – if they're trying to prove that, they haven't. Um, they have not gotten that case across. Um, so I, I don't think you've seen yet somebody out of that, you know – out of that first unit that's playing next to Halliburton, you no one has proven that they can um, that they have enough gravity to make Tyrese's life easier yet. Um, I think Matherin's a little bit better shooter. I think Bruce Bruce Brown struggled to shoot the ball until Halliburton got back on the scene until he started playing games again, and 
it was less of a case of Brown's making Halliburton's life easier as Halliburton is making Brown's life easier. I mean, I think there was one uh, sort of drive and kickback where, like, um, Halliburton kind of came across the free throw line and two defenders dragged with him, and then he sort of just handed the ball to Bruce Brown, and nobody was anywhere near Bruce, and he was like, wow, that was easy. How did you do that? And, like, almost, like, asked the whole question before he, could, you know, took the shot, and still nobody was contending. Um, so I think that you haven't seen yet that anyone can prove that they ha- give you what he'll give you, which, which is one making the shot, um, but also just commanding that your defender not leave him, um, and that making sure that whoever is on heel is stuck to him as much as he can. He can still hit it in front of you, um, and you know you can't con- you can't move more resources to try to get in Halliburton's way. You've got to at least have one of those guys pinned on Buddy Heald. I don't know that you look at Matherin or Brown or Toppin as outside shooters the same way um, at, at this point. Uh, I don't I don't think they've proven that. Matherin, like I said, Matherin's shot looks a little better. I mean, his percentage wasn't crazy. Brown missed some. You know, Toppin looked pretty good as a four, I thought, hitting a couple. Um, you know, maybe they're trying to prove that, but I think it's more of a case of just Halliburton's just rolling. He's teeing guys up for threes, and you make it or you miss it, you know. Um, and that just happens to be the shot that they're giving him. But if they're not making him, um, you know, you're not proving the gravity. I don't think that Heald proves yet. So they they might be trying to get somebody to prove it, um, and but but they haven't proven it. And I think if anything. So far, I, I would say, even though he didn't shoot it well the first couple of games, uh, until this last one, he was six out of eight from three. Uh, I would say Heald's value has risen, um, you know, in, in these preseason games in, in terms of the results. Now, obviously, a lot of things can change once they get into real games to count and once everybody gets into a rhythm and gets sort of settled uh, with playing basketball again and, and, and with playing together, you know, with Halliburton in the lineup. Um, but at this point, none of those wings are shooting the ball well enough to say, well, you can lose Buddy Heald and it's not a big deal. All right, let's get to your last uh, bold prediction. What was my last bold prediction? I'm, like, struggling for my last bold prediction. Um, Shepard uh, in the rotation. Oh, yeah. Um, Shepard will be the 11th man. That's what I'm going to say, and that will get him minutes. Uh, I think this group is going to I, – I think Rick's going to be really fluid about second units. I think that's kind of a big key, a, a big key here. I don't think he's going to have it be one established group of guys – um, I think he's going to change it based on, um, you know, based on matchups, based on who's feeling it, who isn't. Like, I don't think he's trying to name five and then be done. I think he wants to continue this uh, competition as far as it goes, and I think he wants to reward Ben Shepard. Um, so I don't think that um, – I, I, don't, I don't think he'll go two games without without getting rotation minutes. Um, I think they'll try to get him on early and often. Uh, again, it might require some mixing or, or some shifting around to make things work. Um, but he seems to be okay with the idea of playing smaller, you know, giving Walker time to get right and maybe fix it later. But I, I think there's going to be a lot of shifting in the second unit. I think he's pretty set, set on the first unit. One of those guys has to lose it, um, has to lose the opportunity, whether it's Brown, Matherin, Toppin, uh, or Toppin. I mean, it's really just those three guys. You know, Turner and Halliburton are pretty much set. Um, but I'd, I'd be really surprised if he moves anybody there. But I think the second unit is going to be very fluid. Um, I think he's going to do that on purpose, and I think he wants to make sure that those guys in the second unit are fighting. I think he wants to keep everybody else activated um, and, you know, feeling like they've got something to play for and as many people as possible to feel like they've got to keep showing up and there's a, a possibility they're going to play that day. 
Um, you know, but I do think I do think he really likes Shepard. I think Shepard's ability to shoot the ball has been big. His fearlessness has been big. The fact again that he's not a guy that needs the ball in his hands can just run around. Uh, you know, force you know get some gravity that way, um, hit some open shots, but also defend reasonably well and chase loose balls. I think that's a guy that he's going to want to make sure feel at least somewhat rewarded, and he'll be sort of part of what they do going forward. Yeah, so you're basically agreeing with my first bold prediction. Which Effectively. Is that, mm. that they're going to play lots of small lineups, and the big guys mm. are going to be playing time. But we'll, uh, it'll be really interesting to see because I don't know how you keep everybody happy. I don't know that keeping everybody happy, is, does Rick Carlisle care a whole lot about that? No, he probably doesn't, nor should he. Um, but it's going to be really interesting to see how these pieces fit together uh, and where we're at 15, 20 games into the season. Yeah, I don't think he cares about keeping everybody happy. I think he cares about keeping the general level of morale good um, because I think he's aware that that was – he used the phrase, you know, superpower when he talked about connectivity um, with last year's team. And I, I think he still values that. Obviously, it starts with Halliburton and Halliburton – um, you know, uh, uh, was one, one of the things he sort of we talked about in, in, you know, this story was just that, um, he is aware that he has to be, show happiness all the time, show joy all the time. And even on days that he's not having a great day, he's like, sometimes I just got to fake it. Um, you know, I thought that was interesting that he went that far and said, you know, sometimes you just got to fake it until you make it. Like, I know that that's my responsibility is I've got to bring joy every day. If I don't look like I'm having a good time, then that brings everybody else down because everybody looks to me for this. Um, but I think it's, it, it can't devolve, you know, what, whatever happens, it can't devolve. You can't have, um, you know, uh, key players, veterans feel like they've been totally locked out and, and, you know, guys getting in each other's ears and saying, do you believe Rick's doing this to me? Do you believe Rick's saying that to me? I think he knows there are a couple key guys that he has to keep, um, in the fold to make sure they're not, you know, kind of tearing things down. You know, I mean, he, he said, that um, you know, he had a discussion with Jordan Orr. They were coming up in the elevator, and he was just like, "Man, I just need you to to stay stay locked in. Like, there's going to be an opportunity, but you got to just do the best you can at every chance you get. You know, just work hard every day, like you're going to play, and at some point you will. You know, and you know, and I think that's the sort of thing that he has to do. I mean, you can't do anything better than that. You can't, you know, promise, oh, you're going to get in this game or you're going to get in that game or you're going to be in this minute. It's like you can't get, make yourself, put yourself in a position that you're making promises that you can't keep or the one promise is, is, you know, making a problem for another promise and another promise and another promise. But it's just a case of he's got to keep the guys being on the bench locked in. Um, he's got to, you know, sort of make sure some of the guys are, are, are at least at least feel respected. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I think but Buddy Hill is important that he keeps him feeling respected. You know, like, Buddy doesn't have to start, you know, like, he not, the world doesn't have to revolve around Buddy. And he don't even have to get his extension. You know, they can let him walk, but it's just like, I think um, it's got to be a case of, all right, you know, I'm going to keep it together. Get me paid. You know, like, get me paid someplace else. You know, and I and I think there's, I don't know if there's a promise there. But it seems so far like Buddy's willing to go along with the program as is. Um, you know, if he doesn't get an extension, he's not going to blow the joint up. But it's just put me in a position to be successful. Let me look like a good pro. And when I'm out in the market, you know, hopefully that gets me another $5 million a year. Yeah, I would think that, like, of the guys who might not be happy with their playing time, Buddy's probably the only guy that you have to worry about in that regard, like you said. I mean, because mm-hmm. – you know, if Jordan Wara is upset about his playing time, I don't, you know, he's the, the his teammates going to say, 
some version of, yeah, we get it, but, you know, come on. <laughs> you know, right, no, exactly. We got bigger yeah. things to worry about. So Yeah, so and he was just, what's tough is he was just in the same position in Milwaukee, and he's probably right. you know, he's just thinking, oh, I'm getting a crack at it. And they're like, eh, yeah, no. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're going to go get Obi Toppin so you don't get to play. Um, and yeah, we'd still rather have Aaron Neesmith than you. And we like our two point guards more than we like the idea of playing you. Um, but I, I think he'll, he'll be annoyed, but you know, I don't know, maybe they find some opportunity to get him something as well. Um, and look for a, an opportunity where he can be better or, or have, you know, I mean, there's just no reason why he can't be a second unit scoring power forward in the league. You know, like he's, he's absolutely got the capacity He's a good enough player to do that for somebody, whether it's a contender or not. Um, he's talented enough. You you saw, I thought, you know, the shooting ability, the handling ability, the willingness to put the ball in the bucket, lost a bunch of weight, is moving better, you know, is going to be a better defender even than he was a year ago. Is he ever going to be somebody's star? No. But, um, you know, he is a guy that on a given night can go off for you. I mean, he had, what, 20 and a quarter or whatever it was the one game. Was it 24? I don't know. Um, he's able to get really hot really quick. Um, and so that's a guy that's still valuable to have uh, on somebody's bench. I mean, you, you just hate to see him just being passed out to Europe in two or three years like he's not a productive player because he is. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I – <laughs> sorry, Max, let's go thoughts. Um, but, yeah, no, she, he's, not, uh, he's not capable of taking down um, your chemistry. You know, he's not capable of destroying that. You know, I don't think Buddy really is – Buddy would really have to work hard to do it and really decide to be a miserable person. Um, but there is at least some capacity there, and it's like, hey, you know, it's also a situation of he's an example, he's a pro until you don't want to pay him. Um, and if that, that – when that comes out, that I think, you know, creates some distrust. Um, so, you know, if, if, if you – overly move him down, uh, then I think you could have a problem. But as long as you're in a situation where, you know, I, I, I think one of the lines out of the Shams piece was that, that he didn't feel loved by the offer. So you don't have to make him feel loved, but you have to make him feel respected. You know, you, you have to make sure that you keep in mind that this is one of the best shooters in the league. One of the best, you know, bar none, one of the best top top five shooters in the league, maybe top three with the other two being Steph and Clay. Um, and a guy that's going to finish, you know, probably – 10 top 15 all time and made threes, you know, it's a guy that and, and works his butt off. Everybody knows wants to play 82 every year. He usually comes really close and they had to keep him. You know, they, they basically had to fight him not to come last year when he got a flu that they didn't want to bring in the building. Um, and, and he got hospitalized, you know, called the team and said, I want to play. I want to be there. And Rick had to call a doctor to tell him, no, you can't come in the building. You're going to make everybody sick. Um, and buddy eventually realized, yeah, that's, probably right now that you mention it i shouldn't give everybody this flu that i have um but you know i mean like he's he's annoyed that he only played 80 you know when uh everybody else seems to be perfectly happy taking some games off but he's not happy when he doesn't play 82 so that's the type of guy headstrongness it's just you you just got to keep him satisfied reasonably you know he's probably not going to start he seems to be taking that well um, from what we can tell, um, you know, has, has been a just in terms of his mood and what we see at the end of practices, what we saw in in you know pregame and postgame locker room, um, you know, so far he's keeping a good head on his shoulders so far. Um, seems to be relating to everybody well and, and everything like that. You can tell that there's he's a little bit annoyed, but he also knows that this is part of being a pro. So as long as you have him in that headspace, uh, you don't have anything to worry about. All right, let's wrap up. Uh, you mentioned your Halliburton piece uh, with the Met talk of him, uh, you know, sort of 
making sure he's always up, always happy, always providing that kind of energy. Um, I mean, when we put you on the beat at the beginning of last year, um, I'm sure one of the first things we talked about was we needed some kind of Tyrese Halliburton profile, um, mm. that profile. Just uh, we'll go a little inside uh, baseball here, but what – when you're when you know this is the story you need to write, how do you start it? What are you looking for? What do you want to do um, when you first start working on this piece? Yeah, I, mean, I guess everyone's a different one. I mean, in this case, in a lot of cases, I just start calling people, like anybody that I can. You know, I I, I frequently start with high school coaches because it's easiest to get a hold of them. You send them an email, and usually, you know, if you've coached a player like this, you generally can't wait to talk to to somebody about him, especially if you're a public high school coach. You know, and you don't get many of these. You know, it's different when it's Montverde Academy or it's, uh, you know, Oak Hill or it's somebody like that. And you have, you know, pros coming through there all the time. But when you're Oshkosh North, uh, you know, this is this is the defining player of your coaching career. So you can't wait to, you know, talk to newspaper guys about him. And so I just got started there. But, you know, I mean, the, um, it, it, this one's obviously a little bit different for me because it's like this. Is the, like I've covered pros before, but this is the first time I've got to cover two seasons of the same team. Um, and, you know, like just getting to see all this stuff every day and you just sort of keep taking notes on what you see. And with him, it's a guy like Halliburton, um, you know, there's just so much about him that's unique. Um, and so you're, you're taking all these kind of notes down and, and, and thinking about how you're going to construct it. And so then you start talking to people and you kind of bring that to bear and say, okay, I see this. Where does this come from? Um, and so you got, I got started really with, with his high school coaches and they really kind of helped me branch out, um, to that. And then, you know, I talked to, uh, eventually got, you know, his college coaches on the line, his AAU coaches, but just constantly just watched how he was, um, reacted to and i was able to just really piece together a lot from last year um you know i i had attended i'm trying to do this uh you know somewhere in january before he got hurt and then that kind of pushed everything back and it gave me a lot of opportunity to kind of sit take back reconsider um what my angle was going to be how i was going to do it the point i was trying to make what i was trying to get across and man with a guy like this i mean you just have so much uh, you want to call it on the cutting room floor because it never gets put in the story. But you, I mean, I've got like fifteen thousand words of transcription, and there's still so much more there. It's not necessarily separate angles, but it's just sort of enforcing the bigger piece of just what makes this guy such a connector. You know, what what makes him so good at being around people. And I think what's just remarkable is just how normal of a person he is. Um, and because uh, it's hard, you know, it's, it's harder to do that. I think when you're when you become a star like this. Um, you know, to not, uh, to not end up being kind of sheltered, to not end up being, you know, kind of, um, shrinking your circle or, or, or like trying to avoid press or trying to avoid being out or whatever. I mean, it, it helps that he's in this market as opposed to a bigger one. Um, but just the, you know, again, the, the way in which he clearly tries to elevate people, uh, you know, tries to do his best for his teammates is constantly just trying to get the ball in other people's hands. Um, you know, it, it just wanted to kind of sell hard on that point, but there's, I have so much more, you know, kind of adding to that point that I didn't get to fit in here. Um, it's, it's really remarkable, but yeah, I mean, you, you just start by talking to, um, sometimes you want to talk to the principal first. Um, sometimes you don't, especially when you just know everybody's going to say nothing but great things about him. Um, and that's kind of what you're looking for anyway. And then you want to bring, bring all this to him because you know, you're not necessarily going to get, you know, I got about 15 minutes 
you know, with Tyrese um, and knew I had to make the most of it because you're just like, okay. And I just kind of told him, like, we're going to get deep here, you know, real fast. Like, I know this is going to come off weird, but I want to get sort of deep into your psyche um, here and go with that. I'm not going to ask you to retell your whole life story because you've told it enough times. Um, but by that point, I kind of had all the pieces I wanted to be able to sort of put in perspective just to kind of fill in the holes and the blanks um uh, and and just feeling his voice in it um but that was cool I, and i didn't get to talk to his dad until late in the process and i could have just written a whole story of that his, his just dad is just amazing um you know called his mom didn't get a chance to get a hold of her so that's the one uh piece i think is is, is maybe a little bit missing but there's just so much there to start with uh but no he's a fascinating character i mean just um I, it just, he just seems just so rare to me, but also, again, he just comes off so normal um, and, you know, just doesn't seem like uh, never seems bigger than life. And I think that would that he, he's just one of the more accessible superstars out there. Um, and, you know, it's easy that way for media perspective, but I think it's it's cool from a Pacers fan perspective that, um, you know, uh, you're seeing a guy that's just real and authentic and that makes him uh, a really easy person to write about um, and and to put in perspective. So it's definitely a story I had a lot of fun doing. It's definitely one of those ones where you kind of feel like, man, am I, you know, it's like I that it, it's a, it's obnoxiously long, but it still feels like you're like, you know, you still wonder if you totally did it justice because there's like five or six more directions that you could have gone to express, you know, to express like how this is. Um, but, you know, the other big thing I wanted to kind of get across, I guess the main piece was to say, you know, that it's not just, hey, he's a good dude and hey, he's a good player, but it's that you can build your your franchise, your direction, you know, like your mission statement at this point for this uh, franchise can be built around how he plays who he is um, because he makes it fun you know, his style of play, getting up tempo, but the degree to which he seems to want to make sure everybody else uh, succeeds just, um, you know, is, is kind of the cornerstone of what you're building everything else on. And, you know, it, it makes it easier to, to at least start making progress because you don't necessarily, uh, to be competitive, need that second superstar. And you're going to need it eventually. I mean, I think if they're going to win an Eastern Conference title, they need somebody to, to come up to that level. Um, but they don't need Halliburton to be Giannis. Um, for or or Jokic or or some sort of one of those guys that are just physically overwhelming for them to be contenders just because of the way he makes everybody better and that's kind of his superpower as opposed to being these physical freak of natures that you know Jokic is and Embiid is and Giannis is and LeBron is he doesn't have to be that guy to elevate them um, you know he's still skinny I don't know if he you know benches more than you but um, he's still like he's able to elevate everybody just by that style, that panache, and that desire to make everybody better. When you're sitting down to talk to him, number one, how much do you need for him, from him to make the story? And then number two, are you sitting there with the stuff he told you in the story saying, wow, I can't believe he's this self-reflective or whatever the, you know, let's talk about those two aspects of, writing the story yeah i mean not really because i knew he was i mean he did uh I, I was definitely okay like this definitely fits but like i also was not surprised because of how self-reflective he always is like it definitely was in character uh i mean i i will say it's very nice of him to not you know shoot my ideas down um but i also kind of knew the direction i was going was correct um in terms of how he views things but i was just trying to get him to go you know start talking about 
um, you know, his dad. I want to talk about this summer for him, and that's the quote I didn't get in about how he grew, uh, you know, just this off season with the contract and with FIBA and the whole bit. Um, and and I I knew he was going to handle it the way he handled it, so I guess I was never surprised at the answers I got. Um, I was a little bit surprised when he when he he went so far as to say sometimes you have to fake it. Um, but I think he appreciated that I took it to a different place, just saying like, what is that burden? You know, is it a burden? What what is it like in, in terms of knowing that you have to be positive all the time? You know, like what's that like? Um, and I, and I, I, that I was, I thought it was interesting self-reflection. We said, like, I'm like this all the time. I'm really bad at showing who I am, or right? at, 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 at not tipping my hand, at you not seeing what my mood is. So I have to work at this. Like, I have to think about this all the time. It's like most days I can get by. And I, and I, I would say, like, probably I, I, I think a real, um, a, a, a good kind of assumption is that probably 85% he's legitimately, legitimately happy. And I think that's. That is a high number, um, you know, for most people. Like, like when he says he's faking it, this is not a fake person, you know, at all. This is a very authentic person who is also, though, aware that he can wear, you know, his heart on his sleeve a little bit too much, and he has to tone that down to make sure it doesn't negatively affect others. You know, he is making a conscious decision just to to make himself happier than he might be at the moment for the bet- betterment of other people. And not just because he wants to put on a show because it's for the betterment of other people. And I thought that was interesting to see that that's a process that he deals with every day. But I do think he said, you know, he he's like other other people will lift you up. And I think that's definitely the case that he gets, um, you know, a lot out of just being around the game. He gets, um, you know, infused that way. I mean, I think, you know, like, for instance, like, I don't think he was happy to be coming off the bench for FIBA. You know, like I talked to some people that, that gave me the impression that, that, that they that they weren't happy. They thought he should be starting ahead of Jalen Brunson uh, for Team USA. Um, but if he was unhappy, man, he never showed it, man. He 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 was leader of the bench mob, you know, on top of bringing energy every time he came out there. Um, so when he sees other people succeed, even if he thinks he should be out there, he can still get joy from watching it. I mean, like, if he thought, you know, he should be starting from Jalen, I mean, like, he still made him, like, Jalen, like, his best friend. You know, his wives, their wives were, like, their wives, his girlfriend, Jalen's wife, were hanging out in the games all the time. I mean, sorry. Um, you know, he, he it's not, he, he he's not not authentic. He does legitimately get a lot of joy um, just from being around basketball, and that makes that burden a little bit easier. But yeah, no, I mean, I think I did know I, I did know I was on a short leash. I was going to have maybe ten or fifteen minutes. You got to make it quick. Um, but he definitely was cooperative with that idea. He didn't make me, you know, drag it out of him, you know, like sometimes you have to do, um, you know, and that wastes some of the time that you got. Uh, he he was real about it, and I think he, but but also he knew I was touching on points that uh, were true to him, so that was helpful, and I knew that from talking to other people. Yeah, we were out of time here, but I do think uh, when you're writing, I used to be a writer several lifetimes ago, and it's, it's you really for me anyway you had to sort of push yourself to say okay here's what everybody knows what's the mm. next level below that what's the what makes someone that person and mm. it, it's really difficult to do that at times and, and and you do a great job with that with your big profile so uh this is uh again Dustin has to get to a yet another Pacers assignment here uh so we're going to cut this short now um but uh, please go to indystar.com check out the Tyrese Halliburton profile and everything else Dustin's working on Thank you.
just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.